Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are the great I am. And we are so grateful to have the opportunity to gather together in this place and make a big deal of you. Jesus, thank you that, that you are the bread of life. And that those who come to you will be fully satisfied. They won't hunger and they'll never thirst. Jesus, thank you that you are the light of the world. And Father, the light shines in the darkness. And Lord, you now give the light of life. Jesus, thank you. You're the door. You offer life and you offer abundant life to all who are enter into that life through you. Jesus, you are the good shepherd. You'd lay down your life for the sheep. You've done everything for us. And our part is to believe and to receive from you all the benefits that flow from your self-sacrifice as our good shepherd. Jesus, you didn't stay dead. You are the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in you, even though they die, will be raised again on the last day. And we'll be with you for all eternity, praising, honoring, thanking, worshiping you. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, in our confused, chaotic world, may we find hope in Christ. Jesus, you're the vine. We the branches. Lord, may we bear much fruit. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Father, be praised as we open your word. Feed us. Point us to Jesus. Take from the things of Christ and make them real to us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. It's awesome to be here. It's great to have Jacob here talking about small group. And uh, listen, if, if you guys ever do have questions, you're welcome to come up after and ask them. And, uh, but you're right. I have the greatest job in the world. I get to talk about Jesus for 30 minutes straight, and no one says anything. It's amazing. I love it. Um, this morning, we're going to learn that God will accomplish his plan despite sinful man. God will accomplish his plan despite sinful man. That is good news. You need to believe that. I need to believe that. Because there's this thing called the news. And every day, 24 hours a day, they're telling us there is no plan. There is no hope. The world is going downhill fast. But when I open scripture, I see that God does have a plan. And he will accomplish his plan despite sinful man. How on earth can we compete with a 24-7 news cycle if our only diet upon Scripture is for 30 minutes on a Sunday? No, I want to run to Scripture every day. And I want to feed upon Scripture every day because in Scripture I find hope that my God has a plan. He will accomplish his plan despite sinful man. Let me ask you this. Who do you think in the Bible is the greatest evangelist in the Bible? How about Jonah? 
Jonah preached and an entire city was converted. For three days, he walked across the city, repent, repent, and they did. I don't even think he thought they would, but they did. Jonah was the greatest evangelist in the Bible, but you know Jonah ran from God? He told God, no, I'm not going to do what you've called me to do. The greatest evangelist was a doubter and a runner. How about the greatest father in the Bible? Who would you say is the greatest father in the Bible? Would have to be Father Abraham. He had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Greatest father in the Bible. And yet Abraham doubted God's promise and he tried to figure it out himself. The greatest father doubted God. The greatest evangelist ran from God. Who would you say is the greatest mother in the Bible? The greatest mother in the Bible would have to be Mary. But when the angel of the Lord came to Mary and told her, you are going to have a son, she said, how can this be? She questioned God. The greatest evangelist doubted and ran. The greatest father doubted and tried to make it happen on his own. The greatest mother had questions. How about the greatest leader in the Bible? Wouldn't the greatest leader in the Bible be Moses? Moses led a group of two million people for 40 years through a wilderness. Greatest, you, look, we need to put Moses in charge of the vaccination. We'd have this thing straightened out. The greatest leader in the Bible, it would have to be Moses. And yet Moses doubts. Moses questions. Four different times in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Exodus, Moses questions God. So you have the greatest evangelist, the greatest father, the greatest mother, and the greatest leader in the Bible, and they all doubt and we are terrified to be honest with anyone and to say, you know, there are things I can't quite figure out. Of course there are. Who would you say is the greatest preacher of the 20th century? It'd have to be Billy Graham. It would have to be Billy Graham. But you know, Billy Graham, who spoke, <laughs> he spoke live, in person, to 215 million people throughout his life and ministry. That's amazing. He spoke in over 185 countries throughout his ministry. But do you know that at the beginning of his ministry, there was a point in time when Billy Graham had a crisis of faith. He began to wonder, is this true? Is this real? And <clears throat> Billy Graham went to Los Angeles, and outside of Los Angeles, there was a retreat center, and he went out into the mountains, into the woods, outside of Los Angeles, and this is what he says in his biography. I remember walking down a trail, tramping into the woods, and almost wrestling with God. I dueled with my doubts. I mean, that's a guy who can turn a phrase. I dueled with my doubts. And my soul seemed to be caught in the crossfire. Finally, in desperation, I surrendered my will to the living God revealed in Scripture. 
I knelt before the open Bible and said, these are his words, Lord, many things in this book I do not understand, but thou hast said, the just shall live by faith. All I have received from thee I have taken by faith. Here and now, by faith, I accept the Bible as thy word. I take it all. I take it without reservations. Where there are things I cannot understand, I will reserve judgment until I receive more light. If this pleases thee, give me authority as I proclaim thy word, and through that authority convict me of sin and turn sinners to the Savior. Aren't you glad Billy Graham doubted his doubts? Billy Graham doubted his doubts, and so several decades after Billy Graham prayed that prayer, he stood at a crusade, and my uncle heard the gospel, and he was converted, and that day he began to pray for his sister, my mother, and she was converted, and she began to pray with her brother for her son, Many years later, I was converted from a forest in Los Angeles to a home in Florida. The word of God and the spirit of God is at work. And you say, can I be used of God? The answer is yes, because God is on the move. God is accomplishing his plan despite sinful man. Lock it in. Where would our hope be? Where would our confidence be that you, you, you could be used to help your children know and follow Jesus all the days of their life? You, you could be used to help your grandchildren know and follow Jesus all the days of your li their lives. You, you could be used to win one person to saving faith in Jesus Christ this year and to build them up so that they would follow Jesus and they would begin to help others follow him too. You could do it. This could be a year where God could accomplish his plan through even you. Because if God can accomplish his plan through doubters and runners and people who wrestle, and he can do it through you. He can do it through me. Well, Exodus chapter 4, Moses said, what if they don't believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? And he said, a staff. Then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by its tail. And so he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. The Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again, and when he took it out, 
of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they will not believe even those two signs or heed what you say, then you shall come Uh, You shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground, and the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So God, Moses says, well, God, listen, what if they don't believe me? Remember in chapter 3, he asked two other questions. His first question was this, who am I? You're my chosen instrument. Then he said, who are you? He said, I'm God. I'm the great I am. And now he says, well, what if they don't believe me? And so God gives Moses three signs, three evidences that it is truly God who is at work. Meryl Streep, you heard of her. Many people think she may be the greatest living actress. Meryl Streep, this is what she says. Before every opportunity to act she says I get cold feet and she thinks why would anyone want to see me again in a movie and I don't even know how to act anyway so why am I doing this (laughs) well the International uh, Journal of Behavioral Science says that 70 percent of people have what's called imposter syndrome the other percent don't but they think they should We all have doubts about whether God could really use me. We all get cold feet. I remember being about to go to uh, Russia, and we were sitting in a circle, all of our team. We were going to Russia for an extended summer project, and we were going to try and learn uh, some Russian and, and share the gospel with some Russian friends in Vladivostok. And I remember sitting in this circle of people looking around and thinking, they know so much more Bible than I do. They are so much better disciples than I am. And we had a day of prayer, and in that circle, Joe, a man named Joe led our time of prayer. And in the course of that meeting, Joe said, God can use anyone. And he pointed right at me and he said, even you. And I want to pass this on to every single one of you. If I could take the time to point at every single one of you, I would want to do for you what Joe did for me. God can use anyone, even you. In fact, help me, you turn to one another and tell each other, even you. God can use anyone. Oh, come on. Say it like you believe it. God can use anyone, even you. He really can. And he gives signs and wonders to prove, not that Moses is great. He gives signs and wonders to prove that God is great. He gives the sign of the staff and the snake. Do you know that Pharaoh had a snake on his crown? It showed that he was mighty and awesome. And Moses is so great, he has such a great God that the God of the Bible is so much stronger than Pharaoh that Moses is able to take a snake by its tail. He's got the snake by the tail. 
Pharaoh, you think you're awesome. You think you're mighty. My God is mightier than you are. He's the king of kings. What do we do? What do we do about authority? We trust that God is the greatest authority. What do we do about our bodies? We feel so weak. We feel so sick. We're out there in this world that's full of disease. Literally. God is greater than disease. Put your hand in your, in your breast pocket and pull it out. It's leprous. Put it back in. Pull it out. It's healed. God is greater than any disease. He is. The Nile. The Nile was the source of, of Egypt's life. They thought that, that the Nile was the source of, of all prosperity, all blessing in their nation. And God says, oh, I can take a little bit of water from the Nile and turn it into blood. I am mighty. Not one sign, not two signs, but three signs to show Moses... I'm really with you. Moses, I'm really for you. Moses, you really can because I am the great I am and I will be with you. I'm greater than Pharaoh. I'm greater than any disease. I'm greater than even the Nile. God wants Moses and he wants us to know that he is able to accomplish his plan despite sinful man. Well, Moses can't take yes for an answer. So he goes on, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. For I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf? or seeing, or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. Moses comes up with another excuse. He says, I don't speak so well. Do you know the number one fear that most people have is public speaking? Let me tell you my, my background. I am not a natural communicator. When I was in middle school, they say most things that happen in middle school set like everything in your life, like it's poured concrete and it gets hard in middle school. In middle school, I stood up in Spanish class and you're supposed to say the alphabet. I stand up. I'm so terrified. Tears are running down my face. I am blubbering, just ugly crying. I don't know if you remember middle school. Middle school is not the time for a boy to stand up in front of his class and just blubber cry. But I blubber cried through the whole alphabet. And I'm still standing. I'm still alive. Public speaking is the biggest fear. And yet we are called to preach, proclaim, break the sound barrier with the gospel. Who made man's mouth? God. When I was in seminary, my voice kept cracking 
Like, I wouldn't ugly cry anymore as I went through high school and college and then graduate school, but whenever I would talk out loud in public, my voice would crack, and I'd get this funny little lip quiver. That ever happened to you? My voice would crack, and I'd be so nervous. Steve Brown was my seminary uh, preaching professor, and I went to Steve one day, and I said, Steve, what am I going to do? I mean, I I can't even raise my hand in class and ask a question without my voice cracking. He said, Dave, I've been watching. And when you say things, everyone leans in to listen. It took me a long time to get to a place in my life where I was willing to trust God with me. To trust God that he made me. He made my mouth. My lip-quivering, shaking, crying mouth. Me. And he made your mouth too. And God says, I made you with the ability to share the gospel. To break the sound barrier. The reality of our fear does not change the demand of the world to hear the gospel through your lips. In fact, take your finger, put it up in the air like this. Now, who is responsible for taking the gospel to the nations? The church. Who is the church? Point to yourself. I am. Don't point at me. Point at yourself. Who is responsible for taking the gospel to the nations? The church. Who is the church? I'm the church. You're the church. It's our responsibility. A great missionary of several centuries ago, a man named C.T. Studd, he said that it is the responsibility of every generation of Christians to take the gospel to their generation if they're going to have any hope of hearing it and being saved. I could go on for the next 45 minutes talking to you about all the inspirational reasons that you need to share the gospel. And you would say, yep, heard that. Graduated from that training session. Have that certification. Carry this track around in my purse, ready to share it. But what will ultimately change your life as an evangelist is when you realize God can use your mouth. God can use your mouth because it's not you doing the speaking, it's him. Let me show you that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, we read this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Do we have a responsibility to share the gospel? Yes, we're ambassadors. As though... God, we're making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When we break the sound barrier with the gospel, when we are willing with hearts quaking, knees shaking, lips quivering, when we are willing to break the sound barrier and to share the bad news and the good news and invite people to respond, God is appealing through us. God is speaking through us. 
What will loosen our lips and un, unshackle the chains of fear is when we believe the gospel is true for us. God has made my mouth. God has made my lips. God is speaking through me. I will begin to break the sound barrier with the gospel when my heart is overwhelmed with the truth of the gospel for me. Well, you say, I'm not sure I buy it yet. Moses didn't either. Verse 13, he said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Other translations say it better. They say something like, God, send somebody else. That's really what Moses is saying. God, listen, you've, heard, you've given me promises. You've given me signs. You've revealed yourself as the great I am. You made my mouth, but I still don't buy it. And many of you are right there with Moses. And so am I. I'm just a big chicken on the inside. I really, really am. So the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people, and he will be a mouth for you and will be as God to him. And you will take in your hand this staff with which you shall perform the signs. Why is God angry? We... God is angry because Moses persists in unbelief. You saw it this week. There's a lot of Jesus angry stories in the Gospels. Sometimes we ignore them. They make us a little uncomfortable. The, the meek and mild Jesus getting angry with people. But in, in Matthew chapter 17, there's a, a great Jesus angry story. He comes down from the mountain of transfiguration. He walks up on a crowd with his disciples and the crowd says, you know, he says, hey, what's going on here? One of the men in the crowd is a father who's brought his son to Jesus's disciples and they haven't been able to drive out the demon that's causing him all these troubles. And then Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? Other accounts say, how long will I have to put up with you? How long shall I have to put up with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured all at once. Now the disciples are a lot like you. They say, Jesus, what's with that? And he tells them, you were trying to do it in your own strength. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not drive it out? He said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. So, 
What is Jesus teaching his disciples? The same thing that God is trying to teach Moses. The problem isn't your behavior. The problem is your unbelief. The problem isn't the size of your faith, because Jesus says, he, he says you, your little faith, but he's not talking about the littleness of their faith, because in the very next verse, he says, if it's as small as a mustard seed, you can throw a mountain into the sea. The problem is that the object of your faith is misplaced. Make much of me. Put your trust in me. God is telling Moses, look to me, look to me, look to me. I will be with you. I will send you. I will put words in your mouth. I will give you Aaron. Every time Moses throws up another objection, God graciously responds. And what God finally gets angry about is Moses' refusal to submit to God's plan and to believe the promise that God will accomplish his plan despite sinful man. We think that the reason we're not sharing our faith, the reason we're not engaged in the mission, the problem is out there. People won't believe me. People won't understand me. People won't follow me. When really the problem is inside of us. The problem is inside of us. We tell ourselves, well, inside of me is a great champion. And if I, would just, if I could just be in the right place at the right time, there's a great champion for Christ inside of me, and I would preach the gospel. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You know what's inside of you? The same stuff that's inside of me. Inside of me is a big, fat chicken who wants to lay an egg every single time. And God says, I love to use chickens. The solution is outside of you, just like Moses discovers. It was there in verse 17. You shall take in your hand this staff with which you shall perform the signs. And then verse 20. Moses also took the staff of God. A physical reminder that the power wasn't in Moses, it was outside of Moses. That the hope wasn't inside of Moses, it was outside of Moses. That the, the mission, in order for the mission to be accomplished, it wasn't going to be because Moses was awesome, it was going to be because God was awesome. What will move you and I to take our place in the mission is when we begin to take the gospel. We begin to take the staff of God and press it, press it into our heart to preach the gospel to our doubts, to take the gospel to those chicken places in the corners of our hearts, to take the gospel to those places in our lives where we make excuses, where we doubt and begin to doubt our excuses and doubt our doubts because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, to preach the gospel to ourselves, to say, I need the gospel to be true for those people out there. I need the gospel to be true for me first. And when it is, when we take the gospel as the staff of God in our hand and we go in obedience to him, oh, the great things that he could do because God loves to accomplish his plan despite sinful man. Verse 21. 
the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Let me make sure you understand who the him is. The him is Moses, and God is trying to kill Moses. I know. It's very confusing. So then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. That's a great solution. <laughs> and she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. At that time, she said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. It's weird, right? So things get dark in these verses in chapter 4. You have the Passover predicted that the firstborn amongst Egypt is going to be killed so that the firstborn from God could be saved. And you have a bloody ritual performed on Moses' son so that God won't destroy Moses. And in these weird, dark, bloody verses is the gospel. Because God wants to lock into Moses' heart and life the truth of the gospel that in these verses is revealed how serious sin is and God's gracious provision for sin through the death of a son and the sacrifice of blood. In these verses... And in all the verses about sacrifice and the shedding of blood in the Old Testament is pictured the sacrifice of Jesus in our place. The blood poured out in the Old Testament points to the blood shed by Jesus. And the quantity of blood in the Old Testament points to how great a need of a Savior we have. And the quality of blood in the New Testament the sacrifice of a son, Jesus, in our place on the cross points to the reality that though sin is serious, the wages of sin is death. Through the death of a son, Jesus, you and I can be forgiven. And through the shedding of blood, the blood of, of a Savior, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man in one person through the shedding of his blood. An infinite price has been paid to restore you and I back into relationship with our Father so that you and I could be sons, so you and I could be daughters, so that you and I could have the full rights and privileges of, of adopted children of God. Jesus Christ went under the knife. He was circumcised for you. He was killed for you. And he rose again to show that the penalty had been paid in full. What you and I needed because of our sin, God has provided 
through a son. When that begins to move into our hearts, then our lips will be loosened. Then our hearts will sing with joy and wonder and amazement that the Son of God would be willing in self-sacrifice to give himself for me and for you. Does it thrill your soul? Does it make even a Presbyterian say, Shazam, that Jesus Christ would die in your place? That he would do it for you? Oh, preach the gospel to yourself. Get in a small group of people who would tell you about Jesus again and again and again so that the present value of the blood of Jesus shed for you will make you say, Shazam! It will thrill your soul and your lips will be loosened because you'll finally have something to tell the world. Not a canned speech, but a heart set free to worship the Savior. In worship and in evangelism, the goal is the same, to praise the Savior. Verse 27. Now the Lord said to Aaron, Go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had sent, to, sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshipped. Moses meets up with Aaron. The power of biblical community. I mean, how cool is that? That God gave Moses a partner in ministry that was his brother, they hadn't seen one another for 40 years, and now God orchestrates this thing where his brother Aaron goes to Mount Horeb, meets Moses, and the two of them go back to Egypt together. Not only that, Moses and Aaron, they don't just do it. The two of them, they gather all the elders of Israel. This is such a beautiful picture of the church. The church isn't one person. The church isn't two people. The church is all of us working together. We are all needy people just like Moses. We all have doubts and we're all needed people. We all have a part to play in this great thing called the church. And the church is the hope of the world. The church is the place where the gospel has been given so that the world can believe. How will they believe if you and I don't share it? And how will we share it if we don't do it together? Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron and all the elders, they gather together. And when they tell each other the gospel, what happens? The people believe and the people worship. And so that's what I want for you this week. I want you this week to believe the gospel. And I want the gospel to move into your life and to cause worship to break out. I want a worship explosion in your life. I want you to believe the gospel that God can use you, even you. I want you to believe the gospel that although your sin is great, his love and grace is greater still. 
that God has once and for all, through Jesus Christ, made the ultimate sacrifice. A son took your place and shed his blood so that you could be brought back into forever fellowship with the Father. I want you to believe the gospel. Have you taken Jesus Christ into the very center of your life? Have you believed the promise of God and the gospel for you? Not for other people, but for you. Have you received and trusted in Christ alone? That's the heart of faith. Faith is a confident trust in Jesus Christ alone as he's offered in the gospel. Christ isn't an accessory. He's not a sign. He is the center of life. And when he moves into the center of our lives, it's he that loosens our lips. It's Jesus who elicits praise and worship from our life. So I want you to believe the gospel. I want you to believe in Christ. I want you to take Jesus into the very center of your life, and then I want you to worship him alone. What is worship? Worship is our loving response to all that God has revealed of himself in creation, the birds and trees, all that God has revealed of himself in creation and his word and in Jesus Christ. Worship is our loving response to everything that God has revealed of himself in creation, in his word, and in Jesus Christ. And so this week, I want you to look out in creation and I want to let your heart sing. I was walking from my car into the building this morning. Maybe this happened to you. Those holly trees, that their little red berries are out. So all the birds, like I think every bird in St. John's County was on our property this morning. It was amazing. It was a symphony. I mean, Dylan and Melissa are pretty amazing. But those birds, those birds were something else. The creation displays the glory of God. His word displays the glory of God. Did God's word move into your heart this morning? Just a little crack. Let it in. Let it in. Jesus Christ. Did Jesus Christ become a little bit more real to you this morning? Let him in. Let him in. Believe. Believe the gospel. Receive Christ. Receive him alone. Bring him into the center of your life. And then let that explode in worship from your life to a lost world. Let's pray. Father, what would you do? What could you do? Father, what could you do here in St. John's County if we began to believe the gospel? If we began to repent of our unbelief and, and to trust you that you really are God and you really, really will accomplish your plan despite sinful man? What would you do if we began to exalt and lift up Jesus Christ? What would you do, Father? Would you do it? Would you show us how great a love the Father has lavished upon us that we could be called children of God? 
Would you take the word and, and move it into the center of our lives that, that the word of God and the spirit of God would, would create in us a, a desire to praise and adore and, and to be filled with wide-eyed wonder at Jesus. Holy Spirit, search our hearts now. Holy Spirit, speak to us. What do you want to say to us about our fears, about our doubts? Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to to those that are far from God this morning? Father, we hold out Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, buried, and risen from the dead. We hold him out to lost sinners for salvation. And I invite any here who have never put their trust in Christ in this room or watching online, if you never have trusted Christ, would you say to him now, Lord Jesus, I've sinned against you in many ways. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. Forgive me of all my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. Come into my life as Savior and Lord. Help me become the person you want me to be. Father, what you would do in the life of us who believe in Jesus, do it, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.